0: If the support of a friend has ever lifted you from the depths of despair, you'll appreciate the Apostle Paul's words to a friend in need of encouragement. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah completes his series in Colossians, Christ Above All, with a closer look at Paul's examples of godly friendship.
1: To introduce the conclusion of his message, Paul and his friends, here's David. And once again, thank you for joining us. We are studying the book of Colossians together, and we have come to the last lesson. We are talking about Paul and his friends. This is that section in all of Paul's letters at the end of his letter where he mentions a lot of people by name. And we normally just sort of pass by that. We might read it, but we don't pay any attention to it. But we miss a lot of blessing when we do that because every one of Paul's friends has a story. Story about what has happened to him or her and what is happening because of them. We've tried to dig into that a little bit in this lesson, and it's been very encouraging and very intriguing. Paul and his friends. This is something you will see in the book of Romans, in the book of Philippians, others of Paul's writings. He knew so many people and he never forgot his friendships. We'll get to his uh, final uh, words in just a moment. On Monday, we're going to talk about God's love will never let you down, one of my favorite passages in Romans chapter 8, and uh, we'll spend a few moments there as we get ready for the next series, which is coming up in the month of September, a series we have called My Heart's Desire. It's about worship, and it will be a blessing to all of us as we dig into it in the month of September. I hope you've gotten your copy of the book, Christ Above All, but there's still time for you to do it. This offer remains in place until the last word of the last message of the month. So you have about three or four days left over the weekend. You can do some of the work to get your request in. Here's how you get the book. It's real simple. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point for the month of August to help us with airtime and production. We want this to be available to anyone no matter their ability. And everyone, you just do something. Do what God tells you to do. Ask Him, how can I bless Turning Point? And then do it. And then we'll bless you. We'll send you this book to be an encouragement and a strength to you in the days ahead. So grateful for the opportunity to do this Monday through Friday and to remind you, uh, as we often do on this broadcast, of the importance of your being in church. I usually do that at the end. I'm doing it at the beginning because I don't want to run out of time to tell you there's never been a time that has been more important for you to make church a priority than there is right now. Many churches are losing their way because people who didn't go to church during COVID are not coming back. The statistics are rather startling. So let me urge you, buck the tide, get back to church, be God's person, be obedient to his word. Okay, this is the beginning of the last lesson in Colossians, Paul and his friends, part two. For all of us who have failed in a
2: ministry assignment at one time or another, John Mark is a model of encouragement. He didn't give up or pout. He got back on his feet, back into the ministry, showed himself to be a changed man, faithful to the Lord and to Paul. What a testimony he was. Just because you failed once doesn't make you a failure. There's a big difference between those two things. And then there's a quiet friend, verse 11. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision and they have proved to be a comfort to me we don't know anything much about this man except he had an interesting name his name was justice and his name was jesus jesus would have been his jewish name justice his greek name and to say he was a comfort to paul means he brought relief and consolation to him how many of you know we need friends like that when we're going through stuff as i said they jump in the hole with us they put their arm around us they don't leave us until we get to the other side Mr. Sam Rayburn was speaker of the United States House of Representatives longer than any other man in history. There's a story about him that reveals the kind of man that he really was. The teenage daughter of a friend of his died suddenly one night, and early the next morning, the man heard a knock on his door. When he opened it, there was Mr. Rayburn standing outside. The speaker said, I just came by to see what I could do to help. The father replied in his deep grief, I don't think there's anything you can do, Mr. Speaker. We are making all the arrangements. Well, Mr. Rayburn said, have you had your coffee this morning? And the man replied that they hadn't taken time for breakfast, so Mr. Rayburn said that he could at least make coffee for them. While he was working in the kitchen, the man came in and said, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to have breakfast at the White House this morning. Well, I was, Mr. Rayburn said, but I called the president and told him I had a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come. That's the type of friends that you want to have, because one thing I know about all of us, we all face trouble, don't we? We all go through stuff, and it's a lot easier when you have a Mr. Rayburn around making coffee for you. And then there's a praying friend and you know i preached a little bit from colossians many years ago and i wrote a whole message on epaphras i love this guy because he's kind of the core of the book of colossians in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4 we read these words epaphras who is one of you a bondservant of christ greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of god for I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. Now listen carefully. We met Epaphras in the first chapter of Colossians. He was the person who founded the church in Colossae. And he's also the one who started churches in Laodicea and Hierapolis, just down the road from Colossae. And Paul called Epaphras a bondservant of Christ, You know, he only used that term for two people beside himself, and Epaphras was one of them. And in verses 12 and 13, Paul reveals that what Epaphras had been doing while visiting Paul in Rome was praying fervently and with great zeal. We don't know how long Epaphras stayed in Rome. Remember, he went to Rome because the church was facing all of this stress from all of these false teachers who were coming in. Epaphras was kind of the founder and pastor and he didn't feel like he knew enough to deal with it So he took off and he went to Rome to talk to Paul about it and Paul couldn't come to Colossae because he was a prisoner So he wrote this book that we've been studying and the letter that he wrote to the Colossians Was based on the conversation he had with Epaphras. That's all Paul ever knew about Colossae. He never went there He never met any Colossians but he knew about them because Epaphras came and was faithful to tell him all that was going on. But that's not what the scripture wants us to remember about this man. He was a prayer warrior. The Bible says, first of all, he prayed faithfully. The word always is in verse 12. While he was away from his friends in Colossae, Epaphras did not fail to pray constantly for them and for Paul. In fact, in Colossians four two, we are told continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Most interesting thing to me about the directives in the New Testament on prayer is not that we are told to pray, but that we are told to continue to pray. All of us pray, don't we? I mean we pray when we're in trouble. We pray before we eat. We pray before we go to bed at night or whenever. But the Bible says we're to always be in a spirit, always to be in an atmosphere where we can pray. Don't let things creep into your life that make you really unwilling to pray or gets in the way of prayer. We're reminded in this regard of the story of Jacob because the Bible says that not only did Epaphras pray faithfully, he prayed fiercely. The Bible uses the word laboring have you ever thought about praying and laboring in the same breath? The Bible says that Epaphas labored when he prayed. It's a word that means to wrestle. It means to strive, like Jacob wrestling with God in the Old Testament. Remember, he said, I'm not going to let go till you bless me. Have you ever wrestled in your prayer? Maybe you've got a child that's gone south instead of north. Maybe you've got situations at work that are just overwhelming. When things are really difficult, you don't just pray, you wrestle. You say to God, I don't know what to do, and if you don't help me, God, I'm not going to let you go until you tell me what to do. <laughs> That's the way Epiphras prayed. And the Bible says he prayed fervently. In Greek, to stretch out, strain, or reach out, to be fervent. Fervency is part of the New Testament. The Bible doesn't say we should live our lives easily. It says we should live our lives fervently we should be excited about our faith that's what you love about new christians isn't it when they find out how much god has loved them and saved them from their sin they're so excited and they stay that way until we tamp them down as christians we get in their life and say you got to just cool it man you're overwhelming us with your excitement may their tribe increase i love to be around new christians James five sixteen says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He prayed faithfully. He prayed fiercely. He prayed fervently. And here's the interesting thing. He prayed factually that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. The heretics in Colossae were infiltrating the church, and their ideologies were trying to knock the theological feet out from under the Christians there. And Epaphras knew the only way the church could survive this attack was if they could stand perfect and complete. So he prayed the right prayer, that they would be mature. You know, if you have a church and it's filled with people who are rooted in the Word of God and they know what the Bible says, they will spot error immediately. If you're in a church where there's no truth, where there's no Bible, where there's no stability, air can get in. And sometimes I watch churches across the country and it just seems they go from one thing to the other. Someone once told me it's related to the last conference the pastor went to. He comes home with the new idea and all of a sudden the church is here and then it's all over the place. If you have the Bible as the core of your life, you will not be overwhelmed by false doctrine. And so Epaphus was praying that the church in Colossae would be filled with people who were mature in the faith. What a great prayer. And then Paul had a talented friend. He mentions this man in Colossians 4.14, Luke, the beloved physician. Luke was a respected and important man in the early church. He was a Gentile. He was a doctor. And he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. In fact, he is probably the only Gentile writer for any book of the Bible. Did you know the whole Bible was written by Jews except for Acts and Luke? If we go simply by word count, if you just count every word, Luke also wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. In verse four, we learned that he was a physician and he was beloved by Paul. Medicine was important to the Greeks and physicians were held in high esteem in their culture. So here was Paul's personal physician and coworker in ministry. Here are two of the most impressive individuals in the entire Bible, Paul and Luke and their buddies. I don't know about you, but the older you get, you kind of wish you had a doctor as a close friend, right? <laughs> Somebody that you can call up and say, I'm feeling kind of rotten today, what should I do? We know that Luke first joined Paul at Troas in Acts 16.10, and he traveled with Paul to Jerusalem and he was with Paul on his voyage to Rome. As a Christian doctor, he would have been able to provide Paul not just personal encouragement for his soul, but healing advice for his body. What a blessing for Paul. And at the end of Paul's life, listen to this, we get the most moving portrait of what Luke meant to Paul. In Second Timothy, Paul wrote. This is his swan song. This is the last book he's going to write, Second Timothy. He writes these words. Only Luke is with me. Luke was Paul's soul brother. The physician was a talented and respected man. He was an author, an historian, a physician. He used all of these skills to serve the Lord. But most of all, he was a friend, Paul, a friend who stayed with him until the end. The Bible says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Luke was that friend a dependable friend, a new friend, a loyal friend, a reconciled friend, a quiet friend, a praying friend, a talented friend, and a difficult friend. How many of you got some difficult friends? Say amen. I know you're not being honest, but I accept it. All of us have difficult friends. And here in verse 14, we meet one of Paul's difficult friends. His name was Demas. Demas is mentioned three times in Paul's letters and the progression tells a difficult story. In Philemon, Paul calls him a fellow laborer and includes him in a list of four other good men. Here's what Philemon says about him. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. Here in Colossians 4.14, Paul is simply called Demas without any special word of praise or appreciation. But the final reference to Demas describes what eventually happened to the relationship between the two of them. 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. The Bible says that Demas, who was a close friend of Paul, forsook Paul because of the the materialism of the world, the comforts of the world. He didn't like traveling around, living like Paul did, never knowing what was next, never knowing where he was gonna stay. He had all of this thing in the back of his mind about all of his contemporaries who were living in luxury. So instead of following the will of God in his life to be with Paul, the Bible says he forsook Paul and went away. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. If you don't know it, maybe once in your lifetime, Somebody that you really think is your good friend will forsake you. And sometimes they walk away not only from you but from Christ. And this is one of life's most difficult experiences. But perhaps reading that Paul had that experience will help you to understand it's not about you, it's not unique to you or to me. This happens, and it happened to Paul. Here's the next one. A hospitable friend In verses fifteen and sixteen we read about this guy named Nymphus. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Now, I just tell you about this guy quickly. He must have been a mature and hospitable leader in the church. He must have enjoyed receiving people in his home because the Bible says the church was in his house. So often in the New Testament, the churches were in the homes of the believers. He probably had a decent-sized home. We can assume that. I think he was a great connector of people, the type of friend who brings other friends together, the type of friend who multiplies the friendships in your life. In verse 16, Paul mentions a letter that he wrote to the Laodiceans. There's a great mystery surrounding the nature of this letter because we can't find it in the Bible. Some think it is actually the letter to the Ephesians, but most likely it was a letter that wasn't included in the canon of the New Testament. Whatever we believe about the letter to the Laodiceans, Paul's point is very clear. Paul wanted his friends to read God's Word. He wanted the Colossians to read the letter that was written to the Laodiceans, and he wanted the Laodiceans to read the letter that he wrote to the Colossians. Here is a wonderful way for them to know the heart of the great apostle. And then finally, believe it or not, this is the 10th friend. He had a discouraged friend, Colossians four seventeen and 18. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it This salutation by my own hand. Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. When we compare Colossians 4.17 with Philemon 2, we get the impression that Archippus belonged to the family of Philemon. Possibly he was Philemon's son and the pastor of the church that met in Philemon's house. Paul's last words before his salutation are directed as an encouragement to continual faithful in the ministry. Let me just pause here and say, one of the great sadnesses of our life in the church are the many guys who start out in ministry and walk away from it. And people ask me all the time, why does that happen? I'll just tell you what I know. Ministry is hard. It's not for wimps. It's not just a place to go and enjoy life. Sometimes ministry can be brutal. Sometimes it can be discouraging. Sometimes it can just really turn you inside out. And... Apparently, Archippus was about at the edge. Paul wrote to him not to quit. He wrote to him to continue. He wrote to him that his ministry was a gift from God and that he was a steward of God who would one day have to give an account of his work. Since the Lord gave him his ministry, the Lord would also help him carry it out in the right way. The word that he uses here to fulfill is the idea that God has a definite purpose for every church and for every servant, and he works in us and through us to complete those good works that he has prepared for us. Fulfill means to finish. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't wilt. Don't lose heart. Continue to do the work that God has called you. That's not just true for pastors. That's true for all of us. Whatever you're doing to serve the Lord, I promise you, You can't do it for very long before you face discouragement. Somebody doesn't show up. You don't get the funds you thought you were gonna get. Maybe somebody does something that kind of throws a wrench into the whole deal. It's so easy just to turn away from it, but we need some God-honoring determination, some God-honoring stubbornness that says, if God has called me to do this, I'm gonna do it. I don't know what's gonna get in my way, but by the grace of God, I'm going to fulfill this ministry. That's what Paul prayed for his friend, Archippus. And that's what all of us need. We need divine determination, saintly stubbornness. Those are good words in that context. So, let me finish this up with a story. For 32 years, between 1920 and 1952, seven major expeditions tried and failed to make it to the top of Mount Everest. Sherpa Tenzing Norgay was on six of those expeditions. His fellow climbers joked that he had a third lung because of his ability to climb tirelessly, carrying heavy loads. During those climbs, he earned everyone's respect. In 1953, Tenzing embarked on his seventh expedition to Everest with a British group led by Colonel John Hunt. The strategy was simple, but it was grueling. Two-man teams would work their way up the mountain finding a path, cutting steps, securing ropes, and then they would be done, having spent themselves to make the next leg of the climb possible for another team. And the team of climbers, using the mountain way, ultimately made it possible for two pairs to make their attempts at reaching the summit. The first was Tom Bordillon and Charles Evans. When they tried and failed, it was time for the second team Tenzing and Edmund Hillary. Tenzing wrote of the first team. They were worn out, sick with exhaustion, and of course terribly disappointed that they had not reached the summit themselves. But still they had done everything they could to advise us and help us. And I thought, yes, that is how a mountain makes men great. For where Hillary and I have been without the others, without the climbers who had made the route and the Sherpas who had carried the loads. It was only because of the work and sacrifice of all of them that we were now to have our chance at the top. They made the most of their chance. On May 29, 1953, Tenzing Norgay and Edmund Hillary accomplished what no other human being ever had. They stood on the summit of Mount Everest, the world's highest peak. Tenzing Norgay was thankful for the climbers and Sherpas who went before him on that fateful trip up Mount Everest. They made it possible for him to summit the world's highest peak. I feel something similar about Paul and his ten gospel friends. I am thankful for their life and ministry. Without them, we wouldn't have been able to scale the Everest that is the book of Colossians. Without them, we wouldn't have been able to experience the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. He really is above all. He is excellent in all his name. And in him, we have everything we need. When you read the book of Colossians, you will read on the front page, Paul the Apostle. But don't forget to read the back page because Paul didn't do all this by himself. He did it through the association that he had with some of the greatest
1: people you'll read about in the Bible. Amen. You know, it does take a team. It makes me so thankful for the team that God has given me, both at the church I pastor and at the media ministry uh, where I am today. All of the people that gather together to do the work of God... There's um, several hundred of them, I think well over 500 of us who work together at the church and here at Turning Point, and it continues to grow. Uh, My son, who is the president of Turning Point, told me we have 60 vacancies uh, that we uh, have to have people for. It's hard to find people today that want to come back to work. So we're so grateful for the people who do come back to work and uh, put their time in and work hard to get the gospel out. That's what Paul was trying to say at the end of his epistle. On Monday, we're going to talk about God's love will never let you down from Romans chapter 8. Don't miss the message. Don't forget to go to church this weekend. And uh, we'll see you next time right here on this good station.
0: The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. To share how God is using this ministry in your life, write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098 Delta B.C. V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search for the keywords, Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Our focus on the love of Christ begins Monday with a special message here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the written word journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca.
2: One of my favorite biblical commentators, Schuyler English, tells the story of the famous 19th century missionary to Africa, Robert Moffat. When Moffat was a small boy, his church took up a collection for missionaries. Having no money to give, he asked the usher to set the collection plate on the floor. He took off his shoes and his socks, and he stepped into the plate saying, I give myself to missionary service. It's all I have. That has to be what the Apostle Paul meant when he said Christians must be living sacrifices. If we give God all of ourselves, like little Bobby Moffat, it will be enough. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover what God wants on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to
0: Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.